This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and today I'm talking with drummer, percussionist, and vocalist Larry Florman. Larry is the frontman for the Nashville band Them Vibes, and over his decades-long career has performed with a long list of bands and artists across multiple genres in New York and Nashville. We would appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. While you're there, you can learn more about this episode and check out our archive of over 300 episodes. Also, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, however you listen, please leave us a rating and review. This helps new listeners find us. Our Patreon content now features Will Kennedy discussing the recording of his song Samaritan, which he composed for the new Yellow Jackets record. We've also got lots of other drummers on that Patreon series, including Ash Sohn and Eric Slick, talking about specific songs they've tracked drums for and all the technical and creative aspects of those recording processes. There's also a video by me illustrating my favorite warm-up routine, which I've found to be really useful and effective over the years. You can get access to this and the rest of our Patreon content for as little as $1 a month. So check that out. We really appreciate your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash working drummer. is just a force of nature on stage and in conversation talking with him is as much fun as playing with him he's also married to sarah tomek another fantastic nashville drummer and former guest of ours and they collaborate frequently on various projects it was great to hear about all this and more so let's get to it with larry foreman Sometimes I want to start with, you know, the latest thing that somebody's done, and sometimes I want to start at the very beginning, like where they were born. Um, but let's just... It's best not to talk about it. <laughs> let's just start with how you and I uh, cross paths, because about a year ago, um, I auditioned for Maggie Rose, and at the time, your your band, Them Vibes, was kind of like Maggie's backup band. Um and I just, I, sure. I was, I was immediately infatuated with you and your playing and just like your whole presence in the room, like the way, the way that you played during my audition made that audition a blast. So <laughs> I was oh, like, I, I was you. like, I gotta stay in touch with this guy and, and hopefully we'll get another chance to play. Um, 
But so you were you were in uh, Maggie Rose's band together. Your band, Them Vibes, sort of like predated that. You know, being her backup band. Um, but just talk a little bit about like those two bands and and how they came together um, and uh, how they've uh, um, s- uh, split ways recently. It, it sounds like very yeah. very lovingly and amicably. Um, yeah, yeah, um, ma'am. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Of course, something, something's in my throat here. My first word. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, thanks for having me, Alex. Um, um, no, uh, I'm just kidding. Thanks for having me, Zach. Uh, it's like uh, Alex Trebek. You know, thank you, Alex. You know, uh, yeah. So, so, um, so them vibes. Uh, Alex and I, Alex Haddad, we formed a band called Them Vibes pretty much about ten years ago. We had moved to Nashville um, from New York City. I'm from New York. Alex originally is from the Boston area, but we met uh, playing with this band called Her and Kings County. And it was a country rock band from Brooklyn. And um, we moved to Nashville and the band got uh, signed. We did a a demo deal with Sony and then it was a... um, It was a a record deal with Warner Music Nashville, and uh, the band did its thing uh, and then uh, went away. (laughs) You know, (laughs) band gets signed, band get dropped, uh, you know, that sort of thing happens. That old story. Yeah. So anyway, so the band broke up. Alex and I were living together. We were buddies. We were playing music together, and we were really kindred spirits within this band. I was the drummer in the band, her in Kings County. Alex was the guitar player. Um... We actually did a cruise ship in 2011, right before the band broke up. I think we were on the cruise ship when we found out we had been dropped. Um, and it was the Blake Shelton and Friends cruise. Hey, now. So we we were, hey, now, right, Blake's. But uh, like we used to call him, like, Blake, we went down to the islands, Blake Shelton. <laughs> See, if he were to go and pursue that, I think he might actually have a career. You know? <laughs> he might make it. He's, he's doing all right. Yeah. So we were on this cruise ship uh, because we were on the same record label as Blake Shelton. So we were the friends, right? Blake Shelton and friends. Right. So our band was on this, uh, and there was an artist named Maggie Rose who was on this. I'm taking you pre-them vibes right. um, and pre-marriage uh, uh, to Saratomic. Right. Um, blah, blah, blah. So we were off the, we get off the boat. I think we were on the boat. We found out oh, we got dropped. So we were like, oh, man. Jeez. Oh, God. Why, why are you so blue? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. This boat. It's just, <laughs> yeah, just a little, it's too, a little motion sickness. It's, it's little motion sickness, yeah. Why do you look like you're going to vomit? I don't know. Our lives are turned upside down. No particular reason. Um, so I guess we're not Blake Shelton's friends anymore. Um, we never were in the first place. So uh, the band broke up, yada, yada. Alex and I were living together in East Nashville. We had songs together. We were writing songs. Um and generally how we've written since the very beginning was that I get on the drum kit with a microphone. Alex has a guitar plugged in and a microphone. And we would just get loud and write and play. And we were living together. So if he was working on something, I swear I was in the shower and I heard this thing. And I was like, oh, man. And I ran downstairs, man. I just like tried. I'm like, keep playing that. Don't stop. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, keep playing that. I'd get behind the drums and kick the beat. And he'd be like, oh, shit, I didn't think of it that way. Yeah, man. And then I'd go here and then he'd go there and then we have a song. And it was just like, that's how we wrote. And so we had a, a buddy of ours who was the bass player of our old band named Frank Gagliardi. Um, and he's like, man, I I have, I can record you guys. Like, I, I, I don't know. I know Logic. And I went out and borrowed a bunch of microphones 
from a friend and uh, who worked. He's a teacher at a really richy rich school on the west side of Nashville, and they have a beautiful studio. You know, it's it's Music City. Yeah. The schools here have microphones, and he just said, just just bring them back next week. <laughs> so he gave me a whole stack of microphones. Yeah. Said, Thanks. Um, and we recorded the first record called Shine On. Mm-hmm. Um, and in our living room and, uh, and it was the birth of them vibes. So we've been kicking around and working. We did, we'd had our record shine on. We had, uh, some, some real love and luck with the first single called Lorelei that we had. Um, it was playing on lightning 100, which is the number one station in Nashville. And it's been the number one triple a station in America, six years running or something. So mm-hmm. they showed us a lot of love from the beginning, which was phenomenal. Yeah. I'm really fortunate. Uh, you know, I literally, we were, we were taking some pictures with a friend and somebody said, uh, Hey, um, somebody texted me and said, Hey, you're on the radio. I said, no, no I'm not on the radio. No, I swear. <laughs> I would, I, how would we be on the radio? I was like, I don't know. You have a song called Lorelei. I was like, fuck yeah. Like you're on the radio. So wow. that was cool. So we progressed along and them vibes, you know, playing shows, slowly putting piece by piece band together. And, and we've been doing our thing. Really. We, um, we got, uh, I basically, it was my courtship of, of, of Sarah, you know? So Sarah and I had met on the cruise you know, I was able to send her my first, our first record because I was just like, oh, she's she's hot, she's cool. You know, she's both, right? Yeah, yeah. She's hot and cool. <laughs> um, and we were both players. You know what I mean? She was out playing around and on tour, and I was playing around and on tour. And we were, you know, we were just like, but she she was New Jersey and I'm Queens, New York, right? Man. And we met outside of Nashville. Basically, we met in Nashville. Yeah. And we met on a cruise ship, but you know. Her father was a drummer from Queens. I was a drummer from Queens. It was so bizarre. Like she, <laughs> she loved the she loved the Mets and the Jets. And I said, "How in the world would why would somebody just love such sad, terrible teams? <laughs> you must hate yourself. If I mean you, you're you're a, you're just a terrible person to your own self. Right? I could love I could love you forever. This is amazing." <laughs> So I invite I I would invite her over. I had direct TV. I, I was rolling in dough. Not at all. I was like, I spent my so I had direct TV and I would have like a sports bar going on Sundays, Alex and I to watch right, right. football. And we'd have the Patriots games because he's from stupid where he's from. You right. Know, yeah. The, uh, those people. New England. So he we'd have he'd have the New England on and they're winning, and I'd have the Jets on and we're losing. And I'd invite Sarah over. Sarah would come over. And we drink beers and watch football. And it was just great. So then I sent her the Them Vibes record. And she was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And I was like, all right, she likes what we do. All yeah, right. Yeah. You know, so we got closer. We got together. Um, we were dating. I mean, this now is 2014 or so going into 2015. Um, and I mean, we got married in 2015. But around that, I guess somewhere in there, Sarah had always been playing with Maggie Rose. So somewhere in there, we got together with Maggie through Sarah. And mm-hmm. it was like Alex Alex and I started writing songs with Maggie. We started with a song called I Won't. And it ended up making an EP that Maggie had put out. Now, Maggie at this point is a country artist and she was going through all the country. And then, then basically like, I'll tell you what, you know, like so many country artists that aren't necessarily country artists, yeah. Basically, everybody decides that there's money in country music. It's exactly what the band that I was in, Alex and I were in from New York. The singer of that band was a, is a, fa- a fabulous punk rocker. She just is. You know, that's her thing, you know. Right. Um, but 
it was like, uh, you know, her producer and all. Everybody was like, man, everybody's doing this. Let's go to Nashville. Country's where it's at. So Maggie was doing the country and then country pop and then a different version of country. And, you know, she she did the same dance everybody does. But we wrote with her and we sort of brought what we brought. You know, it was a little bit more of a rock and roll, soulful rock and roll thing. Yeah. And the first song we wrote was called I Won't. And it made an EP. It made her EP. And uh, I think Sarah played on it. It was the first recording because at that time or actually, I mean, so much of the time you as a drummer does not you don't play on records i moved yeah. to nashville with i moved to nashville with this band and everybody we were everybody's like all right we're going to track the record today and they said uh, i said great they said no see you later larry <laughs> yeah. and the bass player and the bass player and i said what the fuck are you talking about like you're not coming to the studio i mean you could come but right. you're not playing right i said what are you i just moved <laughs> my whole life is here now i left <laughs> everything i had yeah. a career as, as brother love i was a singer of my own band i mean a career i mean i was, yeah, I was struggling right. in new york right but i was like what do you mean i just moved here i'm not on the record like it it is something that just blows your mind when it when you first hit that when that wall when you slam head first face first into that wall yeah your gut your gut is ripped because you just you can't imagine it i had no idea this was a thing i mean i knew producers hired people but i didn't understand the machine that is nashville especially in country music yeah so um and sarah had gone through the same thing she had played with maggie rose for years maggie moved her down maggie had you know a machine behind her that was able to move sarah down the same thing didn't play on the first few records so finally we had written some stuff with maggie it made one of her eps sarah played on it and then we started writing some more and it just it fit and then it was basically a pivot that I feel very, very, very proud of that we were able to sort of, you know, just sort of be be creatively um, open and honest with each other where we weren't just faking the funk. Like we weren't just like, all right, Maggie needs this country song. What other way can we say truck and stupid and other stupid? It just <laughs> uh, it, it, it's so stupid. It's just so it's amazing. It sells every day. Yeah. You listen. You listen to it today. It's just another version of truck. And who are we talking about? Oh, it's Waylon and Willie. Now who are we talking about? It's Metallica and, um, you know, and uh, I don't know. Kid who's, Rock. Who's has the, Kid Rock or, or, you know, or it'll be, you'll see, you'll mark my words. Um, what's her name? Kate Bush, because she just had a song <laughs> come back. I know who Kate Bush is and was and, and, and her importance. You do. But you're going to hear in country music, you know, listening to Kate or Bush or whatever, because Everybody just rips and steals and is, you know, it's and just re the machine just regurgitates the same stuff. God bless, man. They make a living. They make money. They have their yeah. constituents and their radio people. But I think what we were able to do with Maggie is is just develop a friendship inside of the writing process where we really trusted each other and we really appreciated what we each could bring. I mean, to be in a writing session now co-writing is is a strange thing alex and i wrote together but he and i come from bands you know mm -hmm. i'm a band guy i'm you know he's a band guy so i always had somebody in a band that i wrote with so i was just you know my partner i was he or she's partner mm -hmm. you know in the world now it was like maggie we weren't in her band she was an artist we were a band but then we're sitting and staring at each other and what do you want to do but I have a particular set of skills that is different from Maggie, that is different from Alex, and all the same way around. I mean, Alex is the poet of the group. You know, Maggie 
does not sing a poor note. Right. Maggie can sing anything. So when you're writing with somebody who can sing anything, whoa. Yeah. Now, of course, you have to write, if it's for the artist in, in front of you, they have to be able to um, produce that vocal in a believable way, meaning it has to be real to them. Yeah, it has to be in them. Like it's the same as as when a, a writer writes jokes for another comic. It's like you have yeah. or when a speechwriter writes speeches for a president, like you have to figure out that person's voice and write to it. Right. Yeah. So there we were and we had a string of songs that just felt really good and they were groovy and they were soulful and it was different. It was a pivot. It was like it was not where Maggie had been ever before, ever. Mm -hmm. And it felt good. And so there we were with the opportunity to make a record with her. So we made the record, changed the whole thing, and we brought in all of our cats. We brought in the producer that we use, Alex and I. We, we brought in, like, Sarah was there, but between Sarah, Alex, and I, and Maggie, but um, we were able to bring in players from our group from the rock and roll, the soul, the, you know, people thought for so long that Nashville was just one trick pony country music. And right. now, as we all know, it's everything. It's, yeah. It really is. And so we were able to bring in our producer, our producer. I love that. It's our, my producer. <laughs> right. our he's, buddy, on, he's on our, retainer. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a really dear friend mm -hmm. that um, is a phenomenal producer and has done them vibes as records now for the last few years. And it was a joy to bring him in because it's like, all right, Maggie, we're going to now do something totally different. And we did a live record in studio. And it was like at, at any given time, it was between an eight and 12 or 13 piece band. And we did it live, live, a live record. And it was a, a joyful, amazing experience, except for the filming part. You know, <laughs> she had to film everything. Do you know, that's insane. So like we would get the best take. We'd be like, yeah, like, yeah, we high fiving, you know. So it'd be like, oh, sorry guys, we gotta go again. Uh, we oh, just did God. Uh, video, 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 video didn't get the take, and we were like, who cares? Right? Who cares? <laughs> who cares? You know what I mean? What do you think is more? And we'd have to go again, so it matched the video, and yep. so there were there were better takes. I mean, in the end, it was a great record, but and you do what you got to do. I mean, that's the artist; it's what she's got to do. But wow, when you're, you know, like. You know, I played percussion and sang background vocals, and you know, on in that project, Sarah was the drummer, um, and so we did that again, and we were working, and then we ended up being Maggie's touring band. We brought in the guitar player from Them Vibes, um, and we brought in a keyboard player who ended up playing in both of our bands, and mm -hmm. you know, we ended up bringing in the bass player. Uh, who I knew from New York, who played in Them Vibes. And, you know, and between the two camps, we just sort of melded together. And it really ended up becoming Them Vibes was the backing band. Um, and Them Vibes is really Alex and myself. But we have a little, you know, a circle of people that have been with us in right. uh, different parts. But And then we were able to go on tour, and then we were able to be, like, the opening act. So it was like Them Vibes was the supporting act, and then we were the the band. So, you know, we were paid musicians to to be a to be a band member for Maggie, and we got to play and be the opening act. So right. that's kind of what what we did for a few years. Um, and we were still releasing them vibes music, and we'd have Maggie sing on ours. We did a second record record with Maggie, and on both of these records, um, Alex and I pretty much had I'd say half of the songs we had co written. 
mm-hmm. with Maggie on both of those records. In addition to other little projects during um during COVID, where uh, we ended up recording stuff at my house, I I had to learn Pro Tools in you know four seconds, and <laughs> we put the drum kit up in the bedroom, and Sarah's playing drum. You know, we figured yeah, it out. So yeah. we released some other material with Maggie. Um, and so, yeah, we, we basically, we, we were together and then, uh, the beginning of this year, <clears throat> excuse me, or last year, rather Sarah left Maggie Rose last year to pursue other things. It was just time. And then Alex and I left the beginning of this year. Um, basically, you know, Maggie was going off to open, she was going to open up for other acts and artists and, and Alex and I said, you know what, we've kind of hit our ceiling here. We need to expand a little bit and we need to kind of refocus on them vibes. Mm-hmm. We knew that we weren't going to be we weren't going to have that opening slot. We weren't going to be, um, uh, you know, on tour, let's say with Maggie as them vibes. So it was like, do we want to be, do we want to be her backing band or do we want to just, or or is there more here? And there has definitely been more for, for a long time. And it's funny because people are like, Oh, is them vibes new? We're like, no, no. Or like, (laughs) is that, or people would ask like, Hey, is them vibes still around? I was like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, I was like, all right, we got to get out of here, man. We got to get out of yeah. So we we were able to finish our record, which we started last year. So um, to bring you around to what we're at now. So we we finished our record this year, and it was tough. We left a touring situation. We left a working paid working gig. It wasn't just it just wasn't for us anymore. Maggie's going in her direction. We're going ours. And the band that was playing with us, we just didn't have enough going on to say, hey, come come with us. You know, right. Um, they had they had a steady job you know yeah. what i mean they had a they had a gig and we said man go ahead god bless you have work you know don't you know if, if you're not working and we call you and, and it works great if not it's all right you know it's yep. it is it's just it's the it's the it's the way of the world you know i mean mm-hmm. um so yeah we auditioned other players last year and we had a little hand in that but at the end it was maggie and austin's call um so sorry you didn't get the gig bro but it's um, okay it's you, okay i think you i think you're in the better place I, yeah I can, I can tell you and like i mean first of all um uh taylor jones got the gig and and yeah. just the perfect guy like that band just got the perfect guy um yeah but you know that that whole experience for me was was uh really fun first of all like we were still kind of like just barely coming out of covid Right. All the vaccines were fairly new. So I was just like so thirsty for like an experience in a room with people playing music. Um, And uh, and yeah, everybody was everybody was just super cool. And the way like coming back to the way you played (laughs) in that audition, like, please, thank you. I was I was just blown away by like how you were like you were just fucking going for it in you know, in my little audition and, and I, I right away knew that like, that's how this guy plays and sings all the time. Like whether it's a rehearsal or a performance or recording session, like you're, you're just playing and singing for your fucking life all the time. (laughs) Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just, it was great to be around and it's, it's always great to, to see and hear you. Thank you. does singing and the percussion thing and drum set um sort of like 
what's the ratio of it right now and and what was it historically what came first drum set came first i well i was always singing you know i mean i i was fagin and oliver twist in fourth grade um and i sang with an english accent and i was so pissed off that mark silberman got to be uh Oliver. I said, why the fuck can't I be Oliver? You know, and I, I want to be Oliver. He's the, you know, he's right. A, a little blonde kid who's Oliver. I was the dark, you know, but I realized later on, I was like, whoa, Fagan was a bad, he was badass. You know, he was sinister. <laughs> he had, he was a much deeper character. Yeah. Fuck Oliver Twist. You know right, what I mean? Right. I, I learned that later, you know, <clears throat> but, um, so I'd, I'd always been singing, never was a great singer, but I, I, I could sing. I think I always sort of understood rhythm because I would, I would, play i would put on my rush records as a kid yeah. like, air drum to neil pert uh pert i'd never say his name right um and then i i didn't realize then why i never got girls because i liked rush so as Man, a kid you know i didn't i didn't realize you know it is a hard was, it is a hard road for for the I rush fans kiss, kiss and rush and, uh, and none of the girls i i why didn't I get a girl? That's why. Oh, uh, man. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's funny. I, Sarah, to this day, my wife, Sarah, drummer, uh, obviously, you know that, but, um, yeah. uh, you know, hates, I, I don't understand. I don't understand, but she's away tonight. She's on the road tonight. I'm going to listen to Rush tonight. It's going to be a great, a glorious <laughs> night. I'm going to put on the Mets. I put the sound off and I'm going to watch baseball and I'm going to put Rush on. And it's like heaven. I have, what else do I need? Nothing else. Yeah, it's man. Perfect. Yeah. And then when, when she gets home tomorrow, I put the rush record away. Like it never happened. Like it never happened. But <laughs> excuse me. But drums was was my first instrument. <clears throat> I remember I was in day camp. I was in this like, you know, summer in New York City, uh, Queens. And, you know, your parents are like, get get rid of the kids, you know. So I went to this camp and I was just playing dodgeball or something. I, I, I was I was hanging out with playing dodgeball. It was some activity. And I heard this noise. And I ran to the noise. I said, what the hell is that? I don't even know what this is. I was 10 years old. And I ran to the bottom of the hill. I look up. It, it looked, it was, it, 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 who knows? It, it may, maybe it was not even a hill, but it seemed like it was on top of a mountain. <laughs> was this guy playing a drum set, just, just playing a drum kit. And I was like, that's everything. That's what I want to do. Yeah. And I found out that it was a, he was a part of a band that was going to perform this evening or this afternoon. So I remember I had a counselor and I had all afternoon activities. I said, after lunch, I'm not doing any of that. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm not going swimming. I'm not doing baseball. I'm hanging out with the band. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he was like, and he was like, okay. Yeah. So I hung out at the basement of this, of this room, this room in a basement and all they played over and over and over and over and over again was smoke on the water. <laughs> And all I and dude, it was like heaven. I had never heard the sheer power of bam, 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 and over and over, and the drums were loud, and I was like, "This is the crap. We can do this," yeah, you know? Yeah. So I I ran, you know, I went home. I said, "Mom, Dad, I want to play drums," and they they said, "Well, all right, we're not gonna," you know. I I had this toy drum set back then, like you know, you get a drum set from like a well, Toys R Us or Play World or whatever, and they, they was, or something. Sears, and they weren't even like the, the skins were. It was paper, you know. What I mean, literally, right. it was like. Ugh. And I smashed through them trying to play Tom Sawyer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and 
they said, you got to take drum lessons if you're going to be serious. So I took drum lessons and I was a shitty student. I hated to study. I, I, there's a, I'm not a professional drummer uh, at all by any means, um, as far as like the, the caliber, like that Saratomic is, but you know, I, I practiced, I played, I got my first drum set. It was a blue mercury blue. It was a, it was a mercury U S mercury blue sparkle drum kit. <laughs> and I loved it. And, and, you know, I played and, and, uh, and then for my bar mitzvah, I had, you know, I, I, I had like, I don't know, $1,200, you know, which was a lot, a ton of money yeah. that you're supposed to put away for college. You right. know, I said, fuck that. I bought it. I bought a Tama Imperial star, yes. double bass, double bass. I'd never played double. Bass. It was, it was my buddy's, my buddy's older brother was a great drummer and he decided to be a guitar player and he was a phenomenal guitar player. And they were in a band called white trash <laughs> out of Queens, New York. And they had a hit song in the like 19 all around 1990 called um apple pie mm -hmm. so they had they made it out of queens like years later you know i was this is before all that so i bought i spent all my bar mitzvah money just gave it to them and my parents were like where's your money i was like it's gone <laughs> Here's I've, I've, i'm so great with money my whole life this is how great i am with money so i bought it It was a double bass it had two toms it had roto tom you know that two floor whatever it was i loved it yeah. so I, so drums were my first thing. And then, of course, if you're the drummer and you have a basement, that's where you rehearse. Sure. So we rehearsed in my house. And somehow I found out I found a, a partner to write songs with and somebody else had a PA. So, all right, the PA comes to my house. And then I would always be able to sing backup. I could always sing and play drums for some reason. I always found it easy to play drums and sing. I can't play guitar and sing. Hmm. I can't play bass and sing or keyboards. Like I, I can make my way around the instruments a little bit. I understand music and I write music, but I can play and sing because it's a rhythmical thing for me. It's always getting back to almost like what you were saying as far as playing percussion and singing, playing drums and singing. It's all about space, you know, rhythm and space, where things are supposed to sit. Um, now, you know, it's just, I think the drumming and singing and anything in life, you need to find your spots, mm -hmm. find your spaces. Now, a lot of players uh, on, on in every instrument and just in life, people just like to blow and they just like to go and go and go and go and go. Just like I have not shut up in the last 10 minutes, <laughs> go and go and go and don't understand that there is space and there is a relationship with another. I'm having a conversation with Zach, even though Zach hasn't had a word in, in 10 minutes, <laughs> you know, but we play together. We listen to one another and there's a room for me here and there's a room for me here as a drummer. And maybe in between that, that's where the vocal's going to lie. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it makes sense to me. And it's a very physical, um, a, a physical motion that is, it's a very physical event. It's a very physical affair. Yeah. I, I, I relate to that because I've, I've been doing more and more backup singing lately and, um, I'm I'm kind of thinking about my voice as just a, a fifth member of the coordination. Like I'm already used to doing four way coordination and you know, my my voice is just a fifth one on top of that. It's not something that's totally separate. It's like you said, something that's incorporated like rhythmically and physically into what you're already doing. Absolutely. And it's it's interesting because then you're really like, I mean, you know, you as a drummer, you can really, you know, the your your time, you know, one, two, three, four. And in between 
one and two and two and three and three and four and four and one, you know, it, it, there's, a, there's a certain amount of space, but so much, no matter how fast or slow mm-hmm. the tempo is, can happen within that space, you know? And it's so incredible to find the spot, you know, that makes sense, the accentuated spot that we are talking about, <laughs> you know? It's just, it's pretty incredible. And um, it's having respect for everybody else around you. And then, yeah, I can sing. I do not have any means do i have a wonderfully fabulous voice but i can sing and play at the same time and then find my spots to enhance whoever the lead singer is and always be able to back them up um right so that's that's been something and then so i you know played drums i always played drums and then i gave them up i was playing i I was playing percussion i was backing up um uh singer songwriters in manhattan um, and this was for some reason nobody played a cajon back then, probably for the better. The you participation know. box. Yeah, exactly. So I was carrying congas, one on each shoulder, oh, down into the subways of Manhattan. <laughs> you know, literally carrying a freaking conga in a bag on each or djembe. I've got a djembe. Great, the djembe is one drum, but it's so overpowering. Right. But the the deep the depth is so low, and the, and the highs are so pow. I mean. I was taking lessons with a, um, there was a guy named um, Babatunde Alatunji. I've heard that name. Yeah. He's yeah got, he's, he had to have been on some recordings, right? He's a lot of recordings. Yeah. He is the, he's responsible for bringing what we call now Afro-Cuban music. He brought from the Afro part. He was a West African. Uh, he had, it was Babatunde Alatunji and his drums of passion. Right. Um, and he brought, uh, uh, African music to to uh, uh, to the states to to our ears and our souls and was very famous and he was very old and I I was living in Manhattan my whole adult life is, was Manhattan and I got to take drum lessons with him and I was playing djembe you know yeah and so that was something that was incredible right this 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 instrument that was just made of wood you know it wasn't a fiberglass they make them now you can barely right. get the real deal right and and you know with the skin an actual skin and there's rope and it's a it's an art form it's a beautiful drum and i remember i was killing my hands killing them yeah and i had t- i had tape all over my hands and and baba baba was like eight feet tall i mean he was probably seven <laughs> feet tall but he seemed eight you know I'm like five seven. If I get this hair up high enough, I'm like five eight and a half. You know what I mean? <laughs> but Baba was real tall, and I remember we were he was, we were going through this drum thing, this exercise, and he walked by. And he saw I had all this black tape on my hands, you know, to protect my hands. He said, "No, class, please hold on, please, class. Oh no, Larry. He said, Larry, come here, Larry, come here. Show the class. You hit it. He hits the drum. He goes, you hit the drum like this. He's like, boom. I was like, he says, no, show me how you hit the drum. And I hit the drum all timid now and all scared. No, he goes, Larry. He puts his hands out. His hands are gigantic. Mm-hmm. They're like they're like two bathtubs, you know, <laughs> just waiting to hold, waiting to waiting to take me in, yeah, and just yeah. you know, end my suffering. And he said, Larry, feel my hands, feel my hands. And I said, Oh my goodness, they're they're so soft and wonderful, Bob. He goes, Yes, soft, Larry. You don't need to hit too hard. You don't need to have broken hands. And he just taught me how to hit a drum. Wow. And he taught me. Space and he taught me how to listen and i just found it 
so amazing to take lessons for African music. I took conga lessons and bongo lessons mm -hmm. from in the uh, from on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. They call it uh, they call it um, what do they call it? Uh, Spanish Harlem. Yeah, yeah. So there's Harlem on the West Side, and then Spanish Harlem was on the East Side. Right. And I remember taking lessons with these cats, and I would sit in, and I would go to uh, it was like a dance studio. Yeah. At the boys' harbor, it was like a boys' club kind of thing, or a girl. It was a club for kids, and I would sit down. Every week would be a different guy, you know, and and it was all very see Latin cats. They're very machismo based. Yeah, you know? yeah. The guy had the outfit on, like he just had he had just cool, <laughs> slick clothes yep. and shades, and he he would sit down and he would do his hair. He he wouldn't look at me at all. He'd look at these are dance studios, so we're playing in front of a mirror, so we're looking at ourselves. And I'm just scared, you know. And I'm, you know, I'm in like I don't know. I'm scared out of my mind. And he, and he'd be like, I'd be like, uh, he would, Lottie, my name is Eduardo. Good to meet you. I said, Eduardo, hello. And he'd fix his hair, and he'd go, Lottie, play me Wawanko. Wawanko is a beat, a Latin American beat. Yeah, it's it's bong bing bing bong. Boom, bing, bing, boom, boom, bing, the bing, the boom, the bat, the bat. And I'd go, boom, bing, the bing, boom, and I'd play it. And he said, No, laddie, that's not Wawanko. I said, Oh, Eduardo, please. I'm sorry. I didn't want to offend you. Show me. And he'd play, boom, ding, da, bing, da, boom, da, bat, boom, ba, bing, da. And I said, Wow, ooh, wow. Next week I'd come in. <laughs> Pedro, nice to meet you, laddie. My name is Pedro. I said, Hi, Pedro. And he fixed his hair all nice and all that <laughs> shit, man. Fixed his collar, his big fucking chain and all that. <laughs> Laddie, play me Wawanko. And I said, Bone that bean, that bean, that bone, that be. He goes, That is love Wawanko. <laughs> I said, man, well, All right, man. Major show. Right, well, and he, he played Bone D. And I'm like, It sounds a lot like what I play, but okay, all right, fine. Right. Next week, Miguel. I'm like, Hey, Miguel. How's it going? He goes, Hello, Laddie. Nice to meet you. Nice to know you. Okay. And he fixed his hair. The same thing. Different guy, same, right. same guy, same guy, different guy, right? Blame me, Wawanko. I said, boom, ding, that. No, that's not Wawanko. I said, man, can I ask you a question? He said, yes, laddie. Yes, laddie, of course, you ask me anything you want. I said, where are you from? He goes, Dominican Republic. I said, okay, Dominican. Eduardo, Pedro, you're all from Dominican. That's correct. See, si. I said, what part are you from? He goes, a little city called so and so, whatever. I said, okay. And are you all the two guys that the other two guys that I just had lessons from? Are they from the same town? He goes, no, 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 no. He's from somewhere. He's from somewhere else. I said, so. Kind of like a, a language. Would you say that the Wawanko is a little different from town to town, city to city? He goes, of course. I'm like, well, why did you cut? Why did you tell me that? <laughs> so am I wrong? He goes, you're wrong if you're living in my house. I'm like, but if I was living over there, I would have been right all along. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Man. So, you know, I was playing drums and I wanted to learn and I loved Latin American music. I loved African music and I loved the beats and I loved the rhythms and I loved the power and I loved all of it. And th then I kind of stopped. I, I, I was just like the drum set thing. And I don't know, I was singing and I had this thing, Brother Love. I made a record called Brother Love. Okay. So I want to um, stop you for a second and, and talk yeah. about this whole conga thing. Um, mm -hmm. because like one of, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, is, um, first of all, I, I didn't know whether or not you had like trained formally in, in the Afro-Cuban or the African, um, you know, tradition of like, you know, the congueros. Um, but that tradition is related but different to what you do in a band like Them Vibes or what a conga player, like the soul tradition of congas and hand drums since the 60s and 70s. Um, True. So, like, at, at what point did that come into 
you're playing and like how do you how do you think about you know the differences or the overlap between a more orthodox style like a wawanko and and something that's looser and less defined like the conga part on uh what's going on they're actually related they really are similar i think um because you'll find i'll find myself playing a very traditional pattern um you know uh, i basically if you'll have two drums or three drums maybe congas you know you'll have your your tumbao below the conga which is the middle they all and we call them all congas but the conga is the middle one mm-hmm. and the uh what's the high one called quinto thank you yeah quinto yeah. right exactly and i generally just you know roll with i i mean i own i don't, I don't even own a tumbao I did. I had congas all over the. I have, I have timbales and congas that are all over the world. I, I don't know where any of them are. Um, but you know, I, I I'll travel with two drums and track with two drums. I have had the occasion down in Muscle Shoals the last couple of records that I did make where I got three drums and I was like, ooh, okay, ooh, <laughs> ooh, don't go crazy yeah, now, you know, off fine. the leash. <laughs> but it's fine, honestly. It's fine. Your spots. What? What am I supposed to, what can I add here? Mm-hmm. You know? And so you have boom, bing, boom, bing, boom, bing. So, okay. So if a beat's like, that's all covered. I mean, you know, what do you need? So I don't know. Maybe if there is room for it, boom, boom, dance, boom, boom, dance, boom, boom, bang, boom. Boom, boom, bat. Like it's syncopated. It's finding your spots as opposed to if I play the same thing that the drummer plays, cancels each other out. Mm-hmm. So if I, if my, if my inclination is to play what the drummer is going to play, then I'm probably just going to play a shaker or tambourine mm, yeah. and just and lay off the congas because it's sort of, it's already there. If there is a space now in between, you know, in between the kick and the snare and the, um, and there's feels like there's a color that can be added because you're also talking about drums that have tones. Yeah. So we we have tones, and if I can tune them correctly, that wow. So within this song, there's you know there is a little space here, um, as you know uh, that I can add notes. That's not a bass guitar or a guitar or a keyboard or a vocalist. So now it's like ooh the beat the beat is just boom da. Doom, da, and you have your toms, do, 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 your fills. But within that, you have this, this drum, this boom, you can get an array, especially if you use your hands and you muffle the drum a little bit, the conga or the bongo. Yeah. You can get a lot of little percussive sounds. And percussion is something that we all feel. You know, people say, I don't, I can't dance or I can't drum, I don't have any rhythm. Now, I say you have a heartbeat. You have a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, ironically, my wife Sarah, best one of the best drummers in the world, arguably, I would say, horrible dancer. Not gonna lie. <laughs> Me too. Terrible dancer. Me too. Terrible dancer. Yeah. Right. So I I move well. Yeah. See, I don't I don't say I'm a good dancer. I just write on the resume moves well. It's part of your charm. Trust me. It'll get you. It'll get you far. <laughs> so, but then all. But then sometimes. Especially if there's a song that's in six eight or in three, 
all of a sudden, a lot of the African rhythms will come through. You have a space. So that's the song. That whole Bembe thing. And then I'm creating rhythms and melodies within the rhythms and within the melodies. Right, right. That's what I find so interesting. You know, I could blow over everything and you could just be like, well, who cares? You know, yeah. just like, a, like who the hell, you know, how many guitar players do we know that just don't know to shut the hell up? There's j <laughs> just as them. much. Yeah, just as much interest. <laughs> I could. I'm so interested in what you're not playing as what you are playing. Drummers, too. I mean, as much as I love Neil Peart, my if I ever wrote a book, if I uh, my book would have been back in the day, Neil Peart ruined my life because I, I literally like <laughs> I remember I was in a I was in a funk rock band called D Trip and I, it was like a seven piece band and I was the drummer and it was like Sly and the Family Stone right and it was it was so cool we it was basically the same sort of lineup it was blacks and whites and men and women playing together we toured Europe. And I'll never forget, man. I mean, I, I had a little bit of something in me as a drummer that the bass player band leader really liked. But I was really, really green and I was raw. But he liked the raw part. But he taught me. I'll never forget it, man. We were playing. It was like our first show. And I'm playing and I'm trying to fit every little space there was. I'm going to fill. I'm going to show you that I can play in between these dots in between these beats because man i can fit it all in there yeah. and i can do it with finesse and style and the band leader who's the baddest baddest bass player and he is an arranger and a writer he's a composer he turned he's playing bass and he turned to me and he just screamed he, he was playing bass and he's singing on the mic and he just quickly turned to me and he, he said keep it straight <laughs> and that was the greatest lesson that i had ever learned as a drummer I, I was stunned and I had to keep going. And he said, keep it straight. Just give me the beat. Play for what the song needs. Yep. That's the whole part about it all, man. Like, I appreciate your compliments. And I've been fortunate enough more recently to play more percussion. And I love it. Yeah. I want, you know, for those of you out there, if you need somebody to play, I mean, I love playing percussion and singing and bringing just, I say it, I'm the sprinkle guy, you know? <laughs> I'm just bringing the sprinkles, you yep, know? Yep. Every just, percussionist I'm, talks that way. Every good percussionist I know uh, is is like, you know, you, you don't need me, but you want me. <laughs> right. And that's, the, and that's true. I mean, I've been so fortunate enough to do a couple of records down in, at Fame and Muscle Shoals mm -hmm. where I was shocked that I got on the session because as a producer myself and as a drummer and, and I mean, whatever, writer and everything... Like, yeah, I, I can add percussion later. I don't need to pay somebody to come on down and and be on the session and go, you know what I mean? Like, but I was able to do that and and um, and everybody was sort of shocked. They were like, wow, what a difference it makes to actually have percussion go down live, even if it's tambourine yep, or just shaker, yep. you know, anything. They were like, whoa, that's just like, it's just, it, it it brought everybody up a little bit and it, and everybody played together and then everybody danced together yeah and it was really special the records came out great and i'm so fortunate and lucky enough to uh have had that opportunity and i, and I love doing it you know people are like well you're the lead singer in a band oh, don't you like being just a front man and i was like man i love that i love doing what i do in them vibes but i also love to back you up just to be able to be like yeah. man what do you 
man, what do you need? I'll just here to give you what you need. All of a sudden, man, you, you'll be surprised that people go crazy, man, with a try. You get a triangle in there a little bit. They go, woo. <laughs> yep, totally. And I like every time I play with, you know, one of the many percussionists that I like, like there's always one of those moments and it might even be just a single note that they just like find a little weird sound to do on the first note of the chorus or whatever. And I'm like, shit, fuck, that was great. <laughs> you yep. know? And now I'm like listening, the, uh, I'm listening with a more attentive ear, whether it's, you know, what I'm playing live or if I'm listening to an old recording, like how, um, how subtle, but integral so many percussion parts are, especially with the congas, like with that soul conga thing, you know, soul music and, and American music from the sixties and seventies, like it is full of percussion and full mm. of congas. And as a drum set player, you know, my ear has always just been drawn to whatever's going on on the drum set. Um, but like you said, there are just so many textural and tonal, um, uh, you know, contributions that, that percussion makes to those songs. And uh, I, I know I'm going on and on about the congas, but... Um, no, I, I, I so, love talking about it. So many songs that I've heard a thousand times, like I go back and listen to them and I'm like, oh, oh shit, there's congas on this. And yeah. I, you know, I would play that song live without the congas... And it's like, it does, it's not the same. It doesn't sound the same. <laughs> yeah. Especially because it's like, it's such a, if, if it's a pattern that's going on, you know, it's just like any other instrument, you know, you're like, wow, can I, you know, for A, what is the pattern, right? What's the pattern that works? And then B, don't deviate, you know, it pick your spot to deviate from the pattern, right, you know, right. pick your spots, man, pick your spots. And also then it becomes trance-like, right? Yeah, I mean, totally. that's what drums are. And it, and if I'm doing my part, then what you're doing as the drummer, you pop even more. Yep. Because I'm just filling in in between your twos and your fours. The funny part is, is that my wife and I are so similar in our drum and drumming, uh, where when we play together, um, and I'm on percussion and she's playing drums, I'll think to myself. I know, you know, I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I got a spot, I got a spot coming up. I'm going to grab a spot uh -huh. for myself <laughs> and she grabs the same spot. And now I have to defer because she's the drummer. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Percussion player doesn't win on that at all. Right. You know what I mean? Shut the, <laughs> hey man, shut the fuck up. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I laugh. I just look over. I'm like, oh, it's, and it's literally like, like, cause there's so many other drummers that I play with. I'll find my spot and they'll find their spot. But my wife and I are so similar yeah. on how we approach songs. We play, we listen to the song. Right. A lot of drummers, a lot of drummers will say, do you hear what I did on that song? And I go, yeah, you played the drum. You played, you played the drums on that song. <laughs> if somebody asks me, what'd you think of those drums? I'll say if in my reality, like for real, if I say, well, I didn't hear them. And they'll say, "Oh, I'll be like, no, that's good. That means that means I love them. That yeah. means I well, I don't have to love them, but I mean, like, as a producer, songwriter, and all, I'm like, if I don't hear, if I don't hear something like that, if it doesn't, if it doesn't jump out at me, then that means it's probably in its place, generally speaking. And if I do hear something that I'd like to hear, we can talk about it. But um, I love the trance-like part, and I love just you know jumping in and out." Um, but you got to find your spots, man. I, I play, I've, I've played, you know, there's always like a horn player who like have a little time off, you know, they'll have like 
a lot of bars to do nothing. And and there's this one particular kid, man. I, I love him, man. He's great. He'll come around and he'll grab a shaker. And I'm like, great. You can never not enjoy a shaker. Play a shaker. That's great. <laughs> and he and I'm playing, right? So my hands are going and I'm just singing and playing. And he starts getting adventurous, right? Uh, he grabs the vi- he grabs the viper slap. Oh lord! And I go like this. I don't sound. I go. I'm playing, right? Both hands are going. I'm grooving, and I, and I put my finger up. I'm like, uh uh-uh. uh. And he goes, what? I go. I said, you better pick your spot. I said, you better save it. Not mm-hmm. now. Not now. I said, if you go there, because he's ready to hit that viper slap. Like after the like at like in the earlier part of the song. I'm right. like, once you do it, it's over, baby. Yeah. You, you're not. We're not. This is not a song about Viberslap. You, <laughs> you get one, yeah. maybe two, maybe. Uh, but generally, right. you get one, Jack. Man. And I said, you better wait. You wait. Say yeah. <laughs> this man. This reminds me. Like I uh, in in the band I play in, Ruby Bell and the Sulfonics. Uh, more often than not, we have a, a a great percussionist named Scotty playing with us, and um, we were playing one of a, a newer song on a on a live gig. And for the first time, like the the song has like a hard cutoff, like the end of it is like a a, a staccato push, right? But but but, and uh, on the uh, on the very last note, he hit the vibra slap, and it just like held over. And I was like, that was one of those moments. It was one note. I was like, fuck yeah, man! Like, I, and I told him, you have to do that every time now. Like that's part of that song now. Damn, that a bitch. talking about sarah like since since you've been together um what have you learned from each other about drums i mean i know you're you're definitely very different types of players do you just sort of let each other be and like i you know you're one type of player (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say like you're you're one type of player she's another type of player or are you are you sharing resources are you giving each other lessons are you giving each other shit like what what is the drum conversation between the two of you? Not much of a it's not so much of a conversation. Like I my approach to it all now is really song first. Mm-hmm. And it's been that way for a long time. And I think Sarah's the so same. She is the same, but um what I mean is that uh, well yeah, for songs for our records, for them vibes records. So I played drums on the first record, and Sarah played drums pretty much for the rest. I can't remember. We we did our our EP called TV. She played on that. I may have played on one or two tracks. I can't remember. She she started playing with us around then, and she played on Electric Fever, Why the Funk Not, which was an EP, uh, and then the latest record. So I would come into the room. Um, and say, I, I, I'd like for you to play this pattern like this. And she would say, my way's better, get out. 
<laughs> and I would say, uh, okay, um, a lot of times she's absolutely right. Like I can't do the things that she can do. Mm-hmm. But I would say if I was, if I sticking to my guns for a reason, I'd say, well, look, when I, when we wrote the song, I was playing drums when we wrote it. So what I was playing is that I sang this part and the part fit right in between the kick and the snare or the part let the, the reason why I would like this fill here. She, I say, please give me this fill on three going in, you know, like starting on three, one, two, ba, 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 ah. So maybe she'd come in and go like one, two, da, 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 da. And I'd say, well, if you can play da, 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 it's because I'm singing ba, da, 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 da. It matched. It literally was an answer to my vocal melody rhythmical. Right. Rhythmic rhythm. My, you know, I would sing sa, da, 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 and you know, and the beat. So I didn't want the You know that just. <laughs> I was I was a the So it was a call and response. It made sense for the song, right? So those things she will say, "Oh yeah, I get it. I know what you mean." And she will now understand what I'm talking about. She can do wonderful things. I can't play a shuffle to save my life on the drum kit. <laughs> literally. I'm, I'm like, man, I get if I get hired to play drums, I'll I get nervous. I don't tell anybody. I'm right. like, I suck, I suck at shuffle. I'm so I figured out how to get by. I mean, I can get by, you know, on it. But Sarah is a masterful shuffle player. Yeah. She Sarah's dad, Sarah's dad was a drum. He had her on a click track when she was a child. Wow. So she plays on a click that is so effortless that you just don't even know. You know, I think for me, taking a lot of time off from playing the drums and percussion and finding percussion again and drums again helped me to be a better drummer Mm -hmm. because I know what I can do like flash and flare wise and it ain't much. I don't need to, but I know that if I'm playing parts that are, that are serving the song, then I'm, I'm, I'm a fine drummer. I can do exactly what it, what it needs to have. And then, um, and, and do it that way. So she, you know, she's a way better drummer than I'll ever be. I'm serviceable for songs and I can bring flair and I can bring energy. Um, and it's drama too, man. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like just like I do is, you know, add a little drama. People go, Woo. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. You just pick one spot to do something cool. Everybody goes, Whoa. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. But Sarah can, I mean, she can she can effortlessly change time signatures, you know, back and forth. She can get around the kid better. She, you know, she's just got an incredible and she's way more powerful than I am. Like we were um, setting up to demo a song that Alex and I wrote with a writer a few weeks ago and we set up yesterday and I forgot that I was trying to get drum sounds. So I played us some stuff and I went and I was just trying to EQ stuff. And, and I said, why am I even bothering with this? Like I spent like an hour and then I'm like, oh yeah, Sarah's coming in. She hits so much harder than I do. Yeah. Yeah. She, well, I don't hit that hard. I fuck that, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And, and, you know, fuck that. And I, you know, she's, she's way better than I am. Uh, percussion wise. I, I, I've just been doing it more. Right. She can play, she can play. And I love having her play and she's fine at it. Um, but I've been doing it now. I mean, I have my bag of tricks. 
Like I, I just know that, okay, I'm going to, I'll bust out a triangle here. Or I like playing those little finger symbols here and yeah, there. Or yeah. The congas are here and the bongo, they're not a conga. And, you know, so and you it know, seems that's like kind of my wheelhouse. What you were saying about like taking time away from drums and away from percussion, like when you, when you re-entered, uh, you know, the drum set atmosphere, it, it sounds like you kind of um, re-entered it with a, a mentality of like, okay, I know what I'm capable of. I know what I'm not capable of. Um, and I know what I give a shit about. I know what kind of drumming like really means something to me and that I know that I'm good at and I'm not really going to worry about the rest. Yeah. And I don't care, you know, I don't need anybody looking at me like that's a great drummer or that's a shitty drummer. Mm-hmm. I don't, I prefer not that's a shitty drummer. Right. But is the song, how is the song? Is right. the song being serviced? You know, if, you know, when that, when the singer, if the singer feels good, if the bass player feels good and the guitar player feels good, then I'm doing my job. I, I, I haven't gone out and played drums live in a long time. And a few weeks ago, I went on the road with an artist named Amy Darling and she's a rock and roller. Alex was actually on, um, was he on, he was on guitar. He was playing and, it was, you know, that's what, you know, we love as them vibes. We love playing with other artists. And I haven't played drum set with somebody in so long. And we went on the road for a couple of dates and she's got a real stonesy kind of thing. And, and you know, my wheelhouse, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. it wasn't. And, and the guitar player, uh, who's a real great rhythm player, this guy, his name is Kevin Smith. And he was actually in a Stones cover band. I mean, he's got the look. The look he's got down, but he backs it up because he plays rhythm guitar the way rhythm guitar players should play. Mm-hmm. He is moving with every motion, every chord. He is literally he's he's comping. He's um he is he is adding colors that you wouldn't even think. Like you know uh, you know he plays the Rolling Stones songs and songs of that ilk the way they should be played, not just gliding over them with with bar chords. Right. And he and so he was very appreciative of the pocket that I was able to bring, mm-hmm. and that meant the that meant the world to me. Just to hear a rhythm guitar player and the singer and the bass player say, "Man, thanks, I really like playing with you because you really just lay the bed down." And then, if you can lay the bed down and you can keep freaking time, I mean, that's right. not a, you know a given by any means uh, for anybody, but. Um, and then you're just, and then you're just bringing, and then it's a drama. Then it, it's drama. Right. You bring it up, you bring it down, you bring it up, you bring it down. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's riding the wave of life. Yeah. As a song. There, there are so many other ways to create drama in music other than more notes. Right. Like I, I feel like, especially as drummers, um, we, we feel like, you know, more, more notes and more volume is, is the way to create drama in music but there's there's so many other ways to do it and it was interesting what you were saying about like the rhythm guitar and and especially like the stones brand of of rhythm guitar that is so simple but so specific and that's what i feel like charlie watts did on the drums like yeah man it like it's it's not a complicated approach but it's a very specific approach and if you don't get inside that specificity it's not going to feel right yeah. I mean, I, you know, for people to shit all over Charlie Watts or Ringo Starr, you, you don't get it. Yeah. Char, you know, uh, uh, Keith Richards, he says, man, yeah, you could have the rock, but you need the roll. <laughs> yeah. And if you really think about what that means, 
You need the roll. Mm-hmm. You know, anybody could stick it in, man, and you can make a baby <laughs> that way. You know, but if you roll with it, you know what I mean. If you groove with it, then there's a little bit more love in there, and there's a dance between the people that are, you know, involved right. in this relationship. And it's not just sticking it in, man. <laughs> there's a lot more than to just sticking it in, man. Wait, you there know? Is? Anybody can count to four, you know yeah, what I mean? But, yeah. it, you know, but there's a way to count to four. Right. You know, there's a way. You got to roll with it. Let me roll it to you. And it, you know? like anybody can count to 32 or 64, but sometimes you only got to count to four. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, um, what's your, what's your background as far as playing? Like what, uh, I mean, I spent, uh, like I, you know, I grew up playing the Rush songs just like you. Um, but I spent uh, pretty much my entire twenties uh, studying and, and playing jazz, mostly in Kansas City. Um, nice, really? Yeah, wow. yeah. I went to grad school in Kansas City and uh, stayed for a few years after grad school. So I was I was kind of steeped in that scene, um, which I'm I'm just forever grateful for because it's it's I, I consider it my second hometown. It's it's really where I grew up in so many ways. Um, you know, musically and personally. Um, but yeah, after that, I went to LA uh, and basically I, I branched out a little bit, but it was still pretty jazz heavy. And, and it wasn't until we moved to Atlanta, which was almost seven years ago by now, um, that I was really able to branch out and, you know, get back to the rock drumming that was my first love and also blues and funk and soul and and uh you know everything that atlanta has to offer um so now like i'm you know much the same way you stepped away from drum set and re-entered it with a different mentality you know i stepped away from jazz and and over the last year or two basically since covid like i've been getting back into it but trying to do it really intentionally and not trying to do uh, you know, my, my Bill Stewart impression, (laughs) uh, trying to, to really play only what I give a shit about and only what I feel confident about going into it and just developing a, a simpler yet more meaningful and impactful jazz voice on the drums. Wow, that's great. What um who 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 do you what are your jazz loves? What do you like to what are you into? Well, I mean, I, mean, I like, I'm sure a lot of things, but you know. Yeah, I mean, I was a I was a Bill Stewart clone like all through my 20s, <laughs> you know, and and right. I still just love listening to him. I was fortunate enough to interview him a few years ago. Um but uh m- you know, one of my main mentors in grad school was uh, Bobby Watson who's an alto player. He was an alto player with Blakey and the Messengers for a while. Um, Mm. And just a brilliant player, brilliant composer um, that, you know, mixed, like what you were talking about, achieved, you know, drama in his music um, that was still accessible in so many ways. Like there would be be humor in his music. There would be extremely simple melodies over, you know, very complex harmony. I feel like Horace Silver did that too. I'm a huge Horace mm-hmm. Silver fan. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, but just like you know, the 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 funkier, greasier side of of jazz is where I I tended to be gravitating towards. That's so cool. There was a there was a cat that I I never got a lesson with, but so in Manhattan there was a, I was working at a. I was working at a music publishing firm called Carl Fisher, and I met some friends that worked there, and 
they were they were the jazz cats and i was way intimidated i was like i'm not a jazz drummer at all and they'd be like you gotta come and sit in man i'm like yeah I'll, yeah okay i'll come but i fuck that man. <laughs> <laughs> they would ask me to sit i sat in once and i never did i just was so intimidated i was like ah, man i i just did a little bit and i was like Poof, dah! you know i just threw a backbeat and they're like right. oh that's cool yeah, man, yeah. yeah, you know, confident. Like, yeah, that's cool, right? Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe this one. I was like, nah, maybe not another one. Right. How about that? <laughs> so, but I remember they turned me on to some different players and all that. And I remember going to see one of them, this piano player, and, and um, at a place called Cornelia Street Cafe. I don't know if it's there anymore in the West Village. And there was a drummer, man. And he was an old guy and he was real real uh, i don't know i i want to say maybe he was on heroin but i'm not totally completely sure Mm -hmm. but um he was real thin and and he was old and he he had this uh uh, maroon suit that was like he he looked like a hanger you know in that the suit just kind of barely it just hung all over yeah yeah and he was a real tall old gentleman man and his name is Marvin Boogaloo Smith. Yeah. So there's a there's a few Marvin Smiths as drummers. There's a few Marvin Boogaloo Smiths. But anyway, he's a my name is Marvin Boogaloo Smith. And he had a few teeth left in his mouth and he was smoking, you could smoke in the club and I said, "Wow, Mr. Smith, this is amazing." I watched him play and he said, um and he he stood up uh he did a little drum solo and he turned around and he started playing the he started playing like um uh like the, the the stands of his drum kit and he turned around and he played the wall yeah and he did some shit you know and and i sat down with him on a break i said man i thought that was so different and interesting and he looked at me he goes drama always he goes drama man drama and i took that because a long time i don't know later i was playing at this place called Chenet cafe Chenet. um which was a famous place down in the in on um, St. Mark's Place, where uh, what's his name did his record? Uh, God, Buckley, Jeff Buckley did mm-hmm. a very famous record at Cafe Chenet. Anyway, there was a sign there behind the drum kit, and it said Chenet, S I N E, with a little thing on the I, right? And it was a copper sign that I thought was like welded to the wall. It wasn't. Oh, so I, I, I turned around and I was playing. I turned around, man. I started playing the because it was copper. I so it had it, it was like bells, you yeah, know. And yeah. I broke that. I broke the sign. Oh, I was like, so, anyway, and I'm like Java, but anyway. So this guy Marvin Boogaloo Smith. I said, Marvin, do you give lessons? He said, I do give lessons, Larry. I give lessons absolutely. He said, because I need to learn jazz. He goes, All right, you gonna come over to my house in New Jersey, and we gonna go out. We're going to go out to the woods, okay? And we're going to roll a big, big spliff. We're going to make a big joint. And we're going to smoke that joint. And we're going to watch the trees sway. And watch the trees sway. And then we're going to go back to my place and play that shit. And I was like, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm ready, Boogaloo. I'm ready, man. And I lived in queens and he was in jersey and as a new yorker man by the time i got like he called me a week later i was like i am not going all the way i just Uh, (laughs) i I, like it didn't work out it didn't work for a lot of reasons the timing rise but i remember i had an answering machine back then back then there was a thing called an answering machine right and it was like beep you have two two messages anyway beep 
Hello, this is Marvin Boogaloo Smith calling Larry about his lessons. <laughs> and, he, and I said, I called him back. I said, hey, I can't make it. And, and then he never called. I never called him. We just fell, fell uh, out of touch. But he wanted, you know, it was about the sway. It was about the role. It was about the drama. Yeah. You know, he had all of the functions of jazz drummer. But he also understood to sway. Like, you know, chops aren't everything. Yeah. Chops, chops are important. And I, like Sarah, I admire her. She was home for a week. And she was working on her chops, man. She was, you know, you know, you know how it is. She was really, she was taking herself apart and putting herself back together again. Yeah. And as you know, drummers, it's a, it's a point of pride, you know, to say, all right, well, you know, I'm going to work on this week. I'm going to, I'm going to play uh, right-handed or left-handed. I'm, a, I'm naturally a left-handed person, mm -hmm. but I play as a right-handed person because that's how I saw it growing up. Right, right. You know, that's the way it looked on TV. That's how you do it. And I don't know. Maybe I would have actually been a better drummer if I had played left hand. And I have no idea. It's not too late to find out, buddy. I, yeah, forget <laughs> that. You know. I had a, I had a teacher. There was a great teacher back in New York who who did that. He said, "All right, you know, hands apart. I, I play cross, you know, cross stick, you know, yeah, yeah. cross." And he said, "Forget, you know, we're gonna play open." You know, he took me apart. Whatever the right would do, comfortable. Right, let's do it with the left, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, it was, you know. It's a uh, man and women. We got to know our limitations. I'm not a phenomenal uh, at that, but but I can groove. I can groove with the best of them. I know how to groove. <laughs> I'm finding that like I I've I've been doing more and more open handed playing because of teaching, and you know some some kids just like sit down at the drums and whether they're right handed or not, they put their left on the hi hat, and it's like, okay, I'm I'm not going to tell you different. Let's just go with that. So. Yeah, no. I found that like I'm I'm using open handed more and more. Um, if if I need something to like really feel greasy, like in soul or jazz or whatever, I, I really stick with the right hand. But I'm finding I'm more and more comfortable with just like some straight ahead, like down the middle stones type shit. You know, left hand lead. Like I don't overthink shit when I play left hand lead the way that I sometimes do. If I'm, you know, I, I just try to get too cute with it because I can when I'm doing yeah. right hand lead. But just, um, yeah, finding that that really like down the middle straight eighth uh, stones groove. I, I find yeah. left left hand lead is really actually feeling. I don't know if it's better, but it's like as good. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Do you play uh, uh, a traditional grip at all? I did, and I had to jettison it. Uh, I had to get rid of it. Did, did you ever play trad? I, I didn't, and I got yelled at for it. Uh, mm. a, band a band teacher. It wasn't even my so I was taking drum lessons at the time, and I'll never forget. My drum teacher said, there are two ways to do it. Both of them right. None of them wrong. What are you comfortable with? And I preferred matched grip. Mm -hmm. I did not care for traditional grip and I understood why it was for marching band drummers. Basically it made sense. If you have a drum that is slung over your shoulder and tilted to a side, if you're, if you're, if your grip is traditional, then you can get to that drum a lot easier. I mean, yeah. that's basically it. There's no right, no wrong. And I remember I had a, we had two band teachers in band class and one of them, Mr. Domford, he insisted. He took me aside. He said, "Larry, um, you're just you're doing it wrong." And I, he just kept telling me. First of all, fuck you, telling a child that he, he or she is doing it, doing it wrong. When right. I mean, what is wrong? You know. And it was one of those lessons in life where the cooler I was, the angrier he got. 
And I don't mean <laughs> I don't mean cool like I lit a cigarette and popped my collar. Right. I was like I was chill. Right. You know? Right. And and I just said there's no right or wrong. I said, you know, and he said, Yes, there is. What you're doing is wrong. I said, I I take lessons, you know, like I'm in, you know, I'm in junior high or high school. I'm like, what is this guy telling? Like, you know, and he got really heated to the point where he took a chair and he threw it down and he threw, threw a chair down, got so angry with me and he threw me out. Wow. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. Wow. He said, you're doing it wrong and you're not listening to me. I said, yo. And I, and he threw me out and I kind of smiled. I I was like, I, I winked at myself. I was like, I got him. I, you know, look at this idiot. I did play traditional grip, like especially all through my jazz days, you know, in in Kansas City. And for for a long time, I was playing jazz, trad, and then you know, if I did like a heavier gig, a rock gig, or whatever, I would do I would do um, matched. But I I just I I, I reached across roads where I had to pick one. Like it became apparent to me that if I was going to play trad, I had to like strip my technique to the studs and build it back up over the course of a couple years because I just had, there were limitations with traditional grip that I just could not abide. So I was like, okay, I can, I can just, I can do all this work to get my trad like really up to snuff. So it's not a liability anymore. Or I could just put all my eggs in the matched basket. And that's what I did. Right on. Um, so, uh, right? Uh, didn't Neil Peart sort of go back to basics and jazz and all that? And he yeah, he went through he, his Freddie Gruber phase where he was right. like the couple of records in the '90s were like the you know the Neil Peart trad era. Um, right. He was right, he and was, he was doing the burning for Buddy thing. Like I think you know he studied with Freddie Gruber, and I think he was doing some lessons with Peter Peter Erskine too. Um, and you know, Neil Peart, God, God bless him. He just, he wanted to be a jazz drummer so bad, but he just, he swung like a numb left arm. He could just (laughs) never, (laughs) yeah, but I I think, you know, not long after that, he just, he switched back to matched. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad that I, uh, got rid of the, the trad grip cause it was, it was just holding me back. And I think when it comes to like teaching a young kid or beginner trad, I, I don't think there's any reason to do it anymore. I think the only reason, like <laughs> the, the only person who, the, the only kind of person who plays traditional grip, who I don't think should switch to matched is the person who was playing traditional grip from the second they picked up the sticks. Yeah. Like sure. if, if that's your native tongue, if that's how you learn to play and switching to matched is going to be like a huge upheaval for your playing, fine, leave it. But if you're if you're going back and forth or if you're trying to incorporate traditional into your technique because sensitivity or because jazz or like that's it's not a reason. We have modern contraptions that can put the drums at any height and angle we want and your left <laughs> your, your left hand match grip is fully capable of everything that your left hand traditional grip us is and probably more. Yeah. So that's my so, that's my fucking traditional grip rant. You know, I'm just telling you you're doing it wrong, okay? It's traditional <laughs> and I'm throwing it out. So what uh what's your setup? I see drums behind you. I see microphones if you don't mind a little rundown of your of your what you do. Yeah. Uh, or, or I'm sure you, you know, there's not one setup, there's not one drum kit. I don't know about you. But I got drum kits in closets. They're just they're they're hanging. I don't I don't know what to do. And then none of them are mine. I have one drum that I own. Right. Uh, right. And that's it. it is, have, it's a kick drum that I had made for me uh, in New York. It's an eighteen by twenty. 
So Whoa. it's 20 inches. It's a 20 inches deep. It's 18 circumference, 20 inches deep. Oh, Jesus. So it's, it's smaller, but it's got this boof and it's, it's gorgeous. Nice. Man. It's just, it's just my speed. Sarah will play 24 inch kick drums. I feel like little baby boy on, in daddy's mom, in mommy's big car. You know? <laughs> I, I need, I need, <laughs> I need, I need a booster seat. I can't reach the pedal. <laughs> Mommy, oh mother, I can't reach the pedal mother. <laughs> and mother comes and plays the drums. Very wonderful. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh no this this room is uh one of the bedrooms in our house and um before covid i i already had some of the treatment um like i'll i'll do this you, a buddy of mine built a cool cloud diffuser nice. there and you Ooh. can so, and so those two big panels and the cloud diffuser was already there but covid was my opportunity to you know just stay in here and learn how to use mics and actually buy a few of them and learn how to use logic and and all that shit so i've been recording in here um, and really it's like, it, it's pretty basic shit. Like I'm running eight channels in a, in a Scarlet 18i20. I'm using a lot of SM57s. Yeah, man. <laughs> you know? I'm same, man. Yeah. And, uh, I, I was fortunate to have, uh, a, a real, one of my really good friends from Kansas city is a great, uh, drummer and audio engineer. And during COVID, like he would just get on zoom with me and like, give me recording lessons. Cause that's, he that's loves talking beautiful. about the shit and, and, you know, can I, try. I have his, can I have his zoom? No, can I have his number? <laughs> yeah. He'll talk still to you. figuring this shit out. Absolutely. But no, he, he really schooled me on the one oh one shit about just, you know, recording drums is all about the room and the tuning and the mic placement. You know, you can, you can go down the rabbit hole of different mics and, that it's it's not unimportant, you know, and you can go down the rabbit hole of all these plugins and and you know, but before you even fuck with any of that, there are so many ways to get so many different sounds with just like a very basic mic setup and a room and some drums. So that's yeah. what I've been exploring. What's your uh, kit that you oh, using, or a, do you have a kit of choice, or do you have a few kits, or what's your deal? I have. I really don't have that many kits. I have two. And I'm one, not saying you should, by the way. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Right. It's better that you don't have so many. This is what it's like. This is my kit. Right. Well, sometimes my wife gives me shit about, you know, how many drums I have. It's all in good fun. But I'm like, you don't know how good you have it because they're. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this is a uh, a maple kit that I built 20 years ago. Um, nice. And uh, I also had I, I became an endorser for Sakai drums when they were a thing. Huh. Um, no, no, not familiar. And uh it, Sakai was the manufacturer for all of Yamaha's high-end shit for a long time, ah. like a Japanese boutique thing. And about 10 years ago, they made a good run at like being their own company and, and made kind of a splash, but it didn't last. Um, so I also have a, a Sakai kit that's like a, a, a three-ply, like old-school maple poplar maple construction. Um, basically, the cool. Gretsch, it's a Gretsch Broadcaster anatomy. Um, right on. So, yeah. It's um, funny. I was I was think, so thinking about the ply. So the kick drum that I have, I, it's I don't know. It's it's not a, it's thin and you know I had it was I've had it for a million years and it was made for me and all that. And I was on the gig uh, a couple weeks ago and the singer Amy Darling. She goes, "Are you cool with me jumping on your kick drum?" And I was like, "Man, <laughs> I was like, like I was like, look, I am all for all that shit, man. I've done it myself." I was like, "But man, this this is like an old. This is my little baby." I was like, "I right. would prefer it." if you didn't stand on the kick drum. I was like, I really hated to, because I mean, I'm all for the show. I, like I yeah, said, I grew up yeah. with Kiss. 
a Kiss fan. I used to light my cymbals on fire <laughs> when I was a kid. Oh, yeah, man. I worked in restaurants and catering, and I would, you know, the sterno, yeah. the little blue flame? Yeah, yeah. I figured I grabbed those sternos, and, and right before the show would start, I had two cymbals that were busted up in the midst of my drum kit, right? So I had my regular cymbals, but on each side, left and right, I had a, I had two old, broken, fucked up cymbals. The sacrifice cymbals. And I would take this blue sterno goop and I would just swirl it all over the cymbals. And at a certain point in the show, I would just grab a lighter and, you know, it didn't do what I wanted it to do, which is poof. It's right. just kind of like like a sterno, like a little fire. Right, that, you the know, little it just blue flame. Went, like... The little blue flame went floop and then gone. And I was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> it did nothing of the sort. But. I'm all for it, but I just felt, I almost felt guilty to tell her, you know, please don't, you know, it's, it's not you, it's the drum. Right. Okay. It's only like a three ply drum. And right. I don't know, you know, yeah. she could be, it's brittle by now, you right. know? Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, well, Hey man, it was, it was great talking to you. I really appreciate you doing it. It was great to see you again. Yeah, uh, man. And I wish, I wish you the best with your, uh, with your them vibes journey. It's, it seems like you guys are onward and upward. And, yeah, uh, we got singles singles coming out. Uh, the record is done. The record is called uh, Sonic Chameleonic, <laughs> and it'll be out next year. But uh, we have singles that are coming out, Them Vibes. Uh, check us out. And um, yeah, man, I really appreciate this. If you need anything from me um, at all, anytime, just feel free. And also for your listeners, I'm around, man. I love playing percussion. If you need me, I'll come to Atlanta. I'll play with you. <laughs> I love doing it. Hit me up, man. Hit you me want, up. You, listen, I'm telling you, everybody listening right now, you don't need Larry, but you want Larry. You fucking want Larry. <laughs> Great talking to you, man. You too, man. Appreciate you. There you go. The one and only Larry Florman. Thanks to him for hanging. Check out Them Vibes at themvibes.com. They've got shows coming up in Nashville and recordings wherever you get music. Next week, Matt Krause will be talking with Des Davis, a Chicago native who came to Nashville in 2019 and has gotten busy recording and touring with a wide range of artists, including Mickey Guyton and Hunter Hayes. Hope you check that out. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, play pretty, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.